0: Welcome to the Viewpoints Podcast with your host, Henry Grossek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome Russell Hanby, my co-host for What's Making News to this week's edition. Welcome to Viewpoints, Russell Hanby. Thanks, Henry. And how are you today? All right? I'm very well. Yes, the sun is shining. We haven't got the, uh, uh, the gloomy weather at the moment. I'm sure the weekend that we tell, they tell us is looking a bit ordinary, but at the moment, all is good. What about with you?
1: Yeah, we've had a few showers uh, later in the week here, but uh, it's not too bad at the moment.
0: Now, I know we've got some homework. You might like to run through that. We're not uh, we're not giving you too much homework because you work hard enough as it is researching all the topics we do, but we, we did have something. We were talking about the wonderful weather a week or two ago, and I think we raised the issue of an Indian summer, and you were going to check yeah. that one out. Tell us what happened. Well,
1: Well, I've done a bit of research, and they all seem to come to the same conclusion about the origins of it. Um, Well, the definition is an Indian summer is a period of unseasonably warm, dry weather. Now, in Australia, that's typically in autumn, and we've just experienced that. Now, uh, when European settlers first came across the phenomenon in America, it became known as the Indian's summer. Apostrophe, yes, Indian's summer. The haziness of the Indian summer weather was caused by prairie fires deliberately set by Native American tribes. And it was the period when the First Nations people harvested their crops. So it's not India, the country, it's from the Native American tribes. That's how we get the name. Now, the earliest known reference to Indian summer is in an essay written in the United States around about 1778 by a fellow called Hector St. John de Crivecourt, and it was first published in French. Now, the idea of an Indian summer did not gain wide currency in Great Britain until the 1950s. So um, that's the origins of Indian summer.
0: So why do you think it took until the 1950s? What was the trigger for that? Why then? Why at all?
1: I don't know, maybe they did some reading about it and uh, uh, it just came about, but it's about 200 years after it was first uh, written about. Yeah, this strange, isn't it?
0: I sense more homework here. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed by your tone, Russell, you weren't overly excited. I mean, it is interesting. Why did it take 200 years almost to gain currency in Great Britain? That's a... a Look, thank you for what you found out. It's fascinating because I... Hadn't checked up on that one, and I hadn't, uh, in pre- preparation for today, knowing you do a good job. But I honestly thought it linked into uh, the country India rather than the the Indians of um, America, North America. Yes, amazing. I think
1: it, I think most people would think that. So yeah. uh, there we go. Mm. Oh
0: wow, well, what an what an um, educational. Aspect we bring to what's making use at times. it would be interesting to see why it took uh, – if you can, Russell, don't consider it homework, it's optional. Optional homework. I never did optional homework uh, when I was a student. <laughs> I had enough trouble doing the compulsory homework. Here I am all these years later as school, that principal. Might, hmm. Yeah, that might
1: be a bit harder to work out, that one. So, Ta- I'll, uh, Yeah, that, so would that would be harder. Know. It's not like just looking up definitions and things, no, is
0: it? No, no, no. Well, you like a challenge.
1: <laughs> we'll see anyway. I'll, we'll I'll see anyway. We'll
0: move on now. Um, lots of things happening this week. Russell in the Age awakened by the pandemic. Young voters want to be heard. In all honesty, says 23-year-old Malia Lake, I'm completely disillusioned with Australian politics. I don't think that voting anyone in is going to radically alter my life in the way I wanted to. Uh, sad. And sobering thoughts and also a challenge to our political leaders, I would say. What do you reckon?
1: Yes, I think so. Uh, And and, uh, she's far from apathetic. She lost three jobs in lockdown and struggled when the federal government started withdrawing payments in uh, late 2020. Now, what uh, they've found out is that voters over 55 and over, they actually make up 40% of the enrolled voters eligible to vote. That compares only with 25% of the uh, 18 to 34 year olds. So just based on the numbers, uh, they're dominated by older people. And uh, it's felt that they would therefore older people have a a disproportionate say on who will govern. Um, And now during the pandemic, mental health uh, issues spiralled, casual workers were laid off, schools and universities went online. And now young people became more politically aware, and uh, they probably don't admit to doing it, but they many watch the daily premier's conferences, uh, press conferences, and also parliamentary live streams, and actually became a bit more knowledgeable about uh, government and politics uh, issues that concern them uh, and make them think how they're going to vote. And concern things like mandatory vaccinations. Uh, they're also worried about the cost of living. Their top concern for the eighteen to thirty-four year olds. And affording medical care and housing is another issue. Uh, And they want, I suppose like we all do, they want honesty about policies, not just smearing their opponents.
0: Mm. And I give credit to the age for that very, um, I think, uh, comprehensive and uh, telling uh, portrait they have presented of the views of young people, the 18 to 34-year-olds, and there's the some interesting stats and figures and opinions in there of great interest to me. Um, look, <laughs> it's almost a pyrrhic sort of uh, plus, but the fact uh, of the pandemic for some of them said that it's actually been there, it's galvanised them f- to develop an interest in politics. Um, from that angle, that's a good thing, um, because we want our young people to be invested in because ultimately Russell um, they're going to be the ones that are going to be our politicians, uh, leaders and workers and whatever else, uh, family people, the lot um, of the future and for them to have to be uh, politically savvy, take it seriously is actually uh, going to be a really good check and balance on what we're doing because there's there's a lot of things need to be, I think, fixed up with our, uh, not just our political system, I would say uh, our media system and also um, the people at the pointy end of it, that is the voters, uh, because there is apathy out there and you can't just blame the media and the politicians for that because we need activists uh, whatever their persuasion to help fix things up so good on the age for profiling that and good on those young people for airing some very interesting and thought-provoking views there's my speech that's right. Yeah. Is that a school yeah. principal speech? Yes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> that
1: would go in your newsletter editorial or something, wouldn't it?
0: <laughs> oh, but I mean it. I mean, I, I really mean it. And I've had a look through there and uh, see uh, what what they're saying and and what they're going to be doing. And I think that is uh, that's a good thing. What do you, what's your view of what yeah. what you read well, think from their viewpoints?
1: Well, that's right. I and mean, Normally, I think young people think oh, it doesn't concern us. We, we have no say and get apathetic or uninterested in it. And uh, it seems that, uh, as you say, the time they had more time on their hands, I suppose, to, to get involved with uh, finding out about politics and other issues.
0: Mm. And it's very interesting when you look at the graphs of. Um of uh, age and voting choice from the uh, the election the Australian election study that is from where this emanates that uh, that sample poll and uh, the 18 to 24 year olds I won't reveal it people can check it out themselves but the 18 to 24 year olds intention to vote as they say it is markedly different to that of the 65 plus uh, year age group and you can see um, a continuum of, of change all the way through that flows from the 18 to 24 year olds through. You can see the flipping of the, um, of the uh, preferences there and the choices and I think our politicians on all sides could take a good hard look, look at that if they want to appeal to a broader demographic than they already do. Fascinating stuff there, Russell. Um, we'll quickly get into the next one. This is an interesting one. Um, it, uh, it, it's something which in another world is something that is basically illegal, that is marijuana or cannabis, and yet um, there's a health aspect to it too, which we've already known in other fields, but this is another variation, Russell.
1: Yes, this is. Uh, it is indeed. From the Herald Sun, hand it to cannabis. A cannabinoid gel could be used to treat arthritis of the hand, a new study has shown. The study, a collaboration between Melbourne-based biotech company, Avico, and the Lambert Institute, included a group of 15 patients who applied topical gel to the affected joints in their hands daily. And in fact, after applying this gel to affected joints in their hands, they experienced significant declines in pain. They had increased grip strength. And better functionality to their hands, and many were able to return to sport and hobbies. Now, there's an app that they have got to set up, which uh, tells patients to apply the gel three times a day and test and record grip strength at night. And they're also questioned about their pain. And it turns out after four weeks, the biotech company Oveco found that pain was much reduced, and grip strength improved, and their fingers were far less stiff, and even uh, their anxiety was reduced. So it appears that it may have some uh, good health products or uh, benefits.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, and that's very interesting. What fascinates me, which doesn't come out in the piece in the paper, Russell, is what is it about cannabinoid gel? What's the ingredient in there that has such a apparently therapeutic uh, quality? Because um, that's almost, uh, for some people, it may be a miracle drug.
1: Yes. Uh, whether it's got... Similar qualities to the uh, medicine that you can get, you know, for mm, pain.
0: Interesting, very interesting. When to take a short break, Russell, um, don't go away. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack, and we're in the middle of what's making news. Welcome back, Russell. Thanks, Henry. Russell, we just got some good news while we were taking a small break there. We got the update. On our latest, um, our latest stats, that is uh, the Viewpoints podcast, which includes this segment, this very popular segment, and, and um, we we've 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 cracked the top hundred in Vietnam. And we're doing very well in Saudi Arabia and we're in the top 120 or 30 right now um, in Australia on uh, news and commentary. Um, So we're we're hoping to get back to our lofty heights of uh, in the uh, the top 50 in Australia. It's very hard in this section. There's an awful lot of good... Quality uh, podcast, but um, yeah, we've got a consistently high audience in, uh, in Vietnam and now Saudi Arabia, so we do as well as our, our regulars in um, the UK and in uh, the USA, we've got strong audiences there, but um, you know, we must be doing something right, Russell.
1: I guess so. Yeah, it's, it's very pleasing to hear that, isn't it? Mm. It
0: is absolutely. Now that we've given ourselves a pat on the back, but thank you, listeners, for having such confidence in uh, in our our show. Uh, What's making news, uh, which is also part of, which is part of the bigger picture that uh, connects those ratings to where they are. Um, Russell, this one's uh, this one's an interesting heart data shockwave in the Herald Sun. Heart attack survivors from low socioeconomic areas are more likely to die in the year after their attack, a shocking analysis of Victorian hospital data has revealed. In, one, in some ways, Russell, this segues on from the fact that people of lower socioeconomic background tend to have, uh, uh, among other groups, uh, poorer health outcomes and life's... Expectancies, uh, and in that sense, sadly, it, it, it doesn't run against a long trend, does it?
1: No. It's sort of uh, not – it's unfortunate, but it's not all that surprising, is it, when we hear mm. about things. And the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute found socioeconomic disadvantage increased the risk of death and hospital readmission compared to those who lived in advantaged areas. Uh, The study found this cohort were less likely to receive intensive inpatient treatment. And uh, the research found there were inequities and disparities in our so-called universal health care. There was a study of 43,000 patients from 30-year-olds up who uh, were discharged from post-heart attack admissions between 2012 and 2017, and they found a high mortality rate in, increase uh, was among the disadvantaged patients. So there does seem to be uh, a, a big difference there, you know, based on one's advantaged areas that you live in.
0: Mm. Um, I think the saddest part of that news is that it's not it's not a shock, Russell, which 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 indicates we've, there's something there that we've neglected to address um, over a long period of time, and that is to um have our lower socioeconomic uh, areas of the community a better catered for and not so poor
1: that's right yes so uh, i don't know what the government can do about it but i suppose uh hopefully they study these uh, figures and try to come up with solutions.
0: Well, maybe if they had policies that we ended up with a society that didn't have such a differential between the haves and the have-nots, that might be a good starting point for um, all politicians and political parties when they seek our vote at elections at whatever level, Russell. That's right, yes. There's another little speech from someone who's (laughs) not a politician. (laughs) Um, City Movers. This is an interesting one, Russell, the next one, isn't it? Almost obvious once you read it, but counterintuitive initially.
1: Yes, uh, from the age uh, uh, city movers snub jobs in the regions. More Melbourneians who make sea or tree changes are well educated and want to keep their city-based jobs, contributing to higher house prices and cost of living pressures in regional communities. Yes, a year or so ago, we heard everyone was having, going to the good life in the country. and uh, But of course, we did hear that all you need is an internet and you can keep in touch with your city-based employment. And that's apparently what's happening. And many people who've left Melbourne believe their future job prospects remain in the city. Uh, Peter Ginn, he's a researcher at Melbourne University, says that 40% of 416 respondents to a, to a 2020 survey worked for metropolitan employers. And uh, that rose to 65% during the pandemic. (laughs) Got something in my throat there. (laughs) Uh, Regional Victoria has experienced double-digit house price growth over the past year as more people leave Melbourne. The provision of infrastructure and healthcare as demand increases is causing some strained relationships between newcomers and long-standing residents. There are issues like uh, schools and even shop parking, where they're going to shop. Uh, Park uh, for shopping uh, can be an issue and uh, regions are still struggling to find workers in key areas like education, law and accounting, health and construction.
0: Well done, Russ. I'll give you a break now. I tried to interrupt there a moment ago. I know exactly how you feel. It's when you're on the when you when you're on the verge of sneezing or coughing, where you've got a tickle in your throat, <laughs> and uh, you need that glass of water or that opportunity to clear your throat, and you haven't got it. It becomes very, very painful. And uh, <clears throat> that sort of thing is something which I just contrived. <laughs> yes, he got me doing it now. I'm clear. <laughs> <laughs> It's an awful feeling, and I hope you've had chance now to clear up. <coughs> <You are laughs> yes, ho-
1: hopefully we're all right now. Yes, <laughs>
0: we do apologise uh, to our listeners. Um <laughs> This is what you'd call a grainy interview, in more ways than <laughs> in more ways than uh, one. You've just given me a tickle in my throat here. I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have it. i was psychosomatic. God knows what it is. It,
1: it, it, it might be yes, but and, and you're back to that issue. Yeah. So the city people aren't really working in the country jobs so much, but still working at their city ones, which uh, it causes, of course, the house prices have gone up a lot in the country, haven't they? Now,
0: look, it, it yes. It causes another issue too, Russ, having grown up in country town, and that is um, the old country town city slicker syndrome, and there's a lot of people in my when we were younger who would come and work in the banks, the schools, the hospitals for a few years and move back to the city, and it takes you a few years to become embedded in country towns. They don't just – they're very friendly, um, but they don't just embrace you lock, stock and barrel because (laughs) – to to a large degree these people are transients and so uh, there's a bit of an ambivalence towards them and that was even when we were working in those country towns but if you're in the country towns and you're either telecommuting to the city or keeping your job in the city and commuting, um, I suspect... That that's going to make an integration with the community, the local community, even uh, even more more challenging. Um, notwithstanding the house prices going up, uh, that of itself is an issue because the locals do get peeved that they can't buy properties in their own uh, in their own uh, towns. And I, I was watching a, an international documentary on this on Britain. I don't think we'd be far behind them. A town, a, a lovely seaside town in the south called St Ives. Um, hardly anybody there owns their house anymore. They're all people renting absentee landlords because it's a, a, a very desirable seaside uh, resort place. And, you know, I, I've been there some years ago and uh, it's an absolute stunner of a town, wonderful history. And, of course, there's a hollowness to towns when either you don't really have... A local community as such or where you've got part of your local community that's only partly invested in the community so in the long run russell it's going to be interesting to see as we move into the next stage of you know um COVID. Mark four, five, six, or whatever it is. How this city moving to the regions pans out in terms of the socio economic impact on people. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, you also wonder if it'll be lasting for some people. Whether they're just doing as a bit of a holiday almost now, and whether they they look around and think, oh, we'll go back to the city, and that also creates other issues, doesn't it? Well, it does.
0: I know some people who did that. They well, they actually didn't. They moved to other states. They bought cheaper houses up there, uh, better houses cheaper. They sold their places in Melbourne or Sydney. And then when they wanted to go back, they found out that uh, whatever value they'd increased in their property in, in the less expensive states and cities coming back Melbourne Sydney became um, almost uh, prohibitively costed, and they found it very difficult to come back and buy a house in so it was, it was uh, it, it, there 's a lot of issues involved Odd spot rustlers we rush through to the last part of the segment um, was it marred or was it um, was it just was it just uh, colored by some Coughing and clearing a throat spurts. What
1: do you reckon? I don't know. We've gone well beyond our producer, Rob, being able to edit it out now with all the mentions. I couldn't mate.
0: possibly edit any of that out. There'll be nothing left. Anyway, quickly, no, the odd spot.
1: Right. Buried deep within the legislation implementing Canada's 2022 federal budget is a criminal code jurisdiction to the cosmos. Essentially, if a Canadian commits a criminal offence while in space, they'll be in trouble when they return. Uh, So that's the new legislation, but it also means presumably that Canadians can currently murder and rob all they want while in orbit. (laughs) The the amendment has been made specifically to prepare for Canada's involvement in a NASA space station mission.
0: Yeah, it looks rather appalling when you look at it from that perspective. Of course, I don't think there's much chance of that happening in the near future because I can't see droves of Canadians up in orbit in space <laughs> in great quantities <laughs> of, I, I, <laughs> of numbers I, I, uh, committing crimes for some time to come, and they'll probably clear that loophole up anyway. Yeah.
1: It could happen here or anywhere, really. Like our Commonwealth legislation, obviously infers here, doesn't it? Part of the Commonwealth of Australia. And if you're out in outer space, you're not really part of
0: this country, are you? Technically, absolutely, Russell. It's a, it's a really, it's a really fascinating one. Well, that takes us out for this week, Russ. You've got some optional homework. It'd be fascinating if you could find out. If you can't, well and good. Don't want to spoil the next week of your life by having <laughs> you frustrated at not finding out some uh, clues on that homework, uh, despite your best efforts. But it would be interesting. I, I, I reckon that's a good that's a good piece of optional homework.
1: Yes, and I guess we followed suit. I, probably an in Indian summers, I've of your recent idea for Australia too, I imagine, you know. Yeah. But I won't keep saying all these things because you'll get more homework on the go. Oh, Russell, <laughs> Russell, Russell, Russell. <laughs>
0: well, that was Russell Hanby on What's Making News. Listeners, do have a great weekend and we'll catch you soon. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossick and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts.